welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast. Great to have you with us. Uh, today we are going to be talking about a really interesting topic for startups in the sports and media technology space. Uh, but first, uh, just a quick thank you to our legal partner Northridge and our talent partner SRI for supporting uh, Sports Loft and the podcast. Uh, and if you like what you hear today, please follow us on social uh, at Sportsloft HQ. Go to our website, sportsloft.co, and definitely sign up for the newsletter. We'll get a lot of great news about tech and sports. Today, we're going to be joined by uh, two heavyweights uh, from the Sportsloft uh, stable of members, and we're going to be talking about something that's really close to my heart uh, and uh, something that a lot of leaders in sports and technology face. That is um, hiring and how hiring is one of the biggest priorities for founders. And today we really want to understand how leading startups at the intersection of sports and media approach hiring and trying to find great people and building out a world-class team, which is essential to the success of the business. So uh, we have today uh, Donnie White, the co-founder and CEO of Satisfy Labs. Donnie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. And we also have Will Brook, the co-founder and chief growth officer of Slate, whose uh, first visit to the podcast, but Slate has been with us uh, several times. So, Will, welcome to the podcast for the first time. Great to have you here. Thanks, Johnny. Excited to be here. So um, let's let's start with you, Donnie. Give us give us a bit of a flavor of where Satisfy Labs is as a company, especially with a focus on kind of the journey that you've had with people over that time. Uh, and where you are now in terms of hiring as you come out of, as we hopefully, knock on wood, start to come out of COVID and, uh, and lockdown uh, slowly. Yeah, uh, Satisfy Labs is a conversational AI company. We focus on taking customers' questions, fan questions, automating the answers, understanding their true intent, and then either guiding them towards a revenue opportunity or even considering the transaction that we can affect in, in chat. We were founded mid-2016. Today we have 25 employees onshore, 10 offshore. I think it's important to, you know, we think about your company to look at both, both sources. Mm. And then now we were raising around before this uh, small thing happened called COVID, <laughs> but we're actually going to be raising now to potentially double the size of the company in the coming months. That's fantastic news. And just, I'm curious when you, when you say onshore and offshore, what is that? How does that, how is that represented? What's the, what's the breakdown? This is people in the U S outside the U S uh, and nationalities work, work, work permits. How does that, how does that all work? Uh, 24 employees in the U S we have one contractor in Paris that helps us with the AI engineering. And then we have 10 in India that support our front end development. So as a company, uh, I consider them all employees or assets, even though there are different uh, management teams and different time zones. Of course. Got it. And uh, Will, give us a, give, give us a little background on Slate and what it is that, that you guys do and, uh, and, and your journey. And I believe that you guys have been on a, bit of a hiring frenzy recently. That's right. Um, yeah, so with Slate, we're a enterprise content creation platform focused on helping big enterprises create social media content that's more unique and do that consistently, making sure that content's consistent, regardless of the social media platform they're creating content for. 
We launched in mid to 2019, um, started off really with the core founding team of just four people for um, the next six to eight months after that, but then brought on three employees. And then just at the top of this year, we've since brought on six, or I guess we're going to be bringing on eight people um, by the end of this month. Um, so from the beginning of January to um, the end of May. And yeah, uh, we just brought on five people this month. So this conversation is definitely top of mind. So um, I, I'm curious as to both of your views on this. Um, what approach do you take to talent? And what I mean by that is, do you look at it as trying to fill a hole or a need, which is obviously the case in a startup a lot of times, you, you realize that you've got this hole that needs to be filled, or are you led by people and skills, even if they are not necessarily a great fit for that role, but finding finding people who have the skills and they can transfer into something else? Donnie, how, how have you been able to, to balance that at Satisfy Labs? I would tell you, I, I think I did this wrong uh, the first the first, the first 10 employees, I think you're, you're looking for talent and then you'll figure it out. Like, oh, this mm -hmm. is a person that's very talented. I know that they can do a lot of things. You know, jack of all trades are very attractive and you're just attracted to people that want to work there. When you're very early on, you're like, oh, you want to come work with us? We'll find a place for you. Stepping back now, it's actually more important to define the roles and skill sets you need, not a, not the talent you think you can use. It's a very different mental state. Had I been more disciplined with role definition, I think some of the early people that we brought on, our churn's always been fairly low, but I have had people come in and have three different jobs. Head of product, head of partnerships. Hey, have you ever tried client success? Like I've had this experience and so going back, I think role definition early on as a founder, more more important than looking for just talented people and making them fit a, a box. Mm. And uh, well, you, you guys you guys started as as a, a group of four uh, mm -hmm. who, if I'm yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you'd all work together or kind of uh, uh, in networked. Um, so. How did you divide those responsibilities between you? And then how, how did that decision get taken to, okay, now we need to bring in extra people. And how did you go about identifying where they, where they were needed and how you were going to find them? I think one of the nice things about when we started as a four-person founding team is we all had very clear backgrounds as to what we had been doing previously and how that would apply to starting a startup. So we had a dedicated product design co-founder, Michael. Um, we had... Yuri, a dedicated CTO who's built over you know, 30 apps before, um, you know, Eric was very much in kind of like a, he was our customer persona. Um, he previously was at the NFL as the director of international marketing and was using the software and wanted everyone to use the software. So very natural that when we started, he was going to um, help lead the sales and still is uh, leading the sales as well. And then on my end, I've previously been a startup co-founder and have worn that hat before. So I kind of filled in every other gap there in terms of like an ops and, you know, HR and all that other kind of stuff. Um, so, um, so the, it, it actually kind of felt pretty natural uh, to start. I think what you kind of answer, answering that earlier question about, you know, are you kind of 
looking for someone to fill a specific need versus someone that kind of fits the culture and like kind of in a softer way kind of is such an amazing person that you should just bring them on. Um, where I, I kind of want to um, waffle on that and try to say both <laughs> in that we certainly right out of the gate when we decide that we need to hire someone, it's because we can tangibly tell that there's something that we need to get done and we don't have the time to do for, do it or we know that someone else could do it better than us because they have much more experience at it. Um, that said, there are definitely people that can solve part of that need, but we're just incredibly impressed with how well-rounded they are or how much leadership experience that they have. Um, and we know that's going to be super valuable and can serve us as the company changes. And you know, certainly a common startup theme is that the startup is going to change and have the needs change from month six to month 12 to month 18. And so if you can have a team that's flexible and, you know, has grown before, then hopefully they can grow into, um, grow into new responsibilities if they come up. So a little bit of both, hopefully. Interesting. And it's certainly, uh, I mentioned to you guys, uh, offline before we started recording here that, um, I, I'm going through the same thing with the uh, uh, Powerboat series that, that we're launching, E1, where uh, mm -hmm. we've just gotten our funding and now we need to go out and we need to build that team. So uh, I'm very much staring at the, at the cold face or the opportunity, depending on how you want to look at it, of, of mm -hmm. going, into this, uh, going into this challenge. So what was, the, what was the first hire that each of you made? Do you remember? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so it's funny at our company, there's been a huge debate over who's employee number one, because we hired two, two young interns right out of school. <laughs> one of them, the one who, who has this distinction, according to our HR records is a, a guy named Jake Liebler. So Jake was working as an intern at the Cleveland Indians and was actually a user of our product. When he graduated from college, he said, I want to move to New York and join Satisfy. I said, you, you going to pick up your life and come to New York okay. and get an apartment and leave Cleveland, Ohio, you, you are coming. And, and to Will's point, I was like, I'll find you something to do like that. <laughs> that's a, when you're employee number one, it's like, he could do, you know, client success. We only had, there's only the founders at that time. So he came and he moved and right after one of our investors said, I have a, my niece's roommate is a math wizard. She's in New York. She's looking to get into some data science, AI stuff. She was a top-notch Northwestern grad, brought her on as an intern. Those two employees are now our director of ops, and she's our senior AI engineer. And we've just grown with them the last few years. So those are hires one and two. Wow. That's a, that's, that's a great story. It's wonderful to see that progression and to see that they, A, that they just wanted to pick up their lives and move to work with you, and B, that they've been there for so long, which is kind of, talks to the culture, which is a point that we'll, we'll, we'll get to no doubt during this conversation as well. Uh, Will, who, who was your first hire? Yeah. Our first hire was, um, was an engineer, um, which makes a ton of sense because our CTO, Yuri, he's a full stack developer. He built our iOS app. He also built, um, the MVP of our web dashboard, but you know, at a certain point, you're going to need help as an engineer. You can't do everything, um, you know, stability, you know, what if he wants to take a vacation, you know, even though you're a founder working crazy hours, you should still be able to take some time off. Um, and so, um, our first key hire was an engineer and that immediately just 
allowed us to accelerate things a ton, um, get to new features faster that customers were asking for. Um, and then after that, right after that was um, Bailey, who is was initially our intern uh, for the summer um, and carried on from kind of doing everything, sales, customer success, marketing, kind of speaking of someone that is great at jack of all trades types roles, um, transitioned from the summer to then working with us part-time while she was getting a master's and then just joined us full-time at the beginning of this month. Um, so has been with us um, pretty much a little uh, around a year now um, and slowly kind of ramping up to working, you know, full-time with us. And we're super excited. I think it, it was kind of really affirmational to us that we've set a culture that someone wants to continue working at, even doing a million different things. Um, and I also do think kind of one larger goal that we sometimes try to set in hiring, not to go into a different direction, is that you know it, it has been fantastic when we can work with somebody in even a limited capacity before we do work with them full time, just to kind of see how they work with the team and you know how they can you know how they deal with pressure, um, taking new responsibilities, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that, that was great. And, you know, clearly Bailey passed with flying colors because, um, you know, she had almost like a 12 month, you know, part-time role with us until, you know, she, until we we brought her on. Awesome. Some beautiful stories there. So then how important is hiring? How much of your time do you spend actually doing that? There was a, in, in the briefing notes that, um, the sports law team sent, sent round, there was a, very interesting link which we can uh which we can share that says if you're not spending at least 50 percent of your time hiring and that's the minimum you're already on the road to failure um which specifically in the in in the with the lens of a startup seems seems counterintuitive because you're trying to build the company Mm -hmm. you're trying to spend your time to build the minimum viable product or to uh, get customers on board or to, to prove it? Do you really have that much time to, to, to go out and, and, and recruit and find people to build? Maybe you're not even at that stage yet, but let's take it a little further, sort of the points where you guys are at now as established companies with a bigger team and with roles and needs that are coming up. How much time do you focus on hiring and finding the right talent? Mm-hmm. Well, how about you guys? Yeah, I'd say you know, we spend lately, it seems like it's been the majority of the time um, because we have really clear goals about the roles that we're looking to hire for. Um, I think once we've locked in the team that we're, we think is going to be able to kick ass and do everything we want to do, uh, which is likely going to be at the end of this month, um, we likely are going to dial back our hiring a little bit um, and not kind of have it be a rolling thing that's always happening in terms of bringing on new people. Um, though we will always in a rolling capacity be kind of talking to new people, interviewing new people that might be interested just to kind of make sure we have those relationships. Um, but yeah, the importance piece is pretty key for us because you know, it certainly, you know, it sometimes as a co-founder, you might feel like you want to do everything and there's like a control aspect. Like, you know, I know exactly how to do this and I can have done it a million times. So why should someone else do it? But um, kind of going back to how the needs of companies and how they change, you know, that's only going to compound, I think, as your company grows. And so you, it's kind of impossible, I think, for any founder to have that kind of like whack-a-mole lifestyle where they're trying to put out a million fires. It's, at some point, you need support and help and people that are going to be able to do that. And, 
and and then you know kind of just also on the importance piece on especially for the startup world where if you truly have captured lightning in a bottle you know the industry is going to know and you better run with it <laughs> you better grow it as quickly as possible um you know other people are going to be interested in what you're doing and so you're going to need to kind of build a team to make sure that you're staying ahead as quickly as possible. And Donnie, you're, you're looking to double the size of the company, uh, uh, to, to, to raise funds, to double the size of the company. How much of your time are you going to focus on finding those roles and how many of them are you going to get implicated in personally, as opposed to, you know, the, the, what, what the sort of the strata or the setup are you going to have, you know, are you going to be looking at uh, the layer underneath senior management and then let the other guys take care of it? I'm curious as to how you're going to play that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's challenging. And, you know, aspirationally, you know, the only way we would double fully is if I thought we could triple revenue with it. Right. So mm -hmm. one of the points I think raised is you, know, you don't have to hire to be successful. Actually, the more you get out of what you have, the better. But as I think about the growth pattern, I have to look at the mistakes that we've made in the past. And some of it is, how do we profile an employee who's ready for a startup? You know, at times you get attracted to people that come from big companies and go, oh, well, look, I, I want to try this. We've had some flame out in four or five months. I recently mm -hmm. had someone tell me, this is too hard. I need an easier job. Well, we clearly weren't un, you know we weren't unclear about what you were getting into but obviously it wasn't your dna to, to handle this so the managers we have are good i think if you can you can get a good management team then your trust profile of hiring gets better we've created a recently like a committee that includes a culture assessment of certain employees that that we feel are key they might not be in the most senior roles but they still have that kind of like radar so we do create a, uh, we also do an interview process now in duos so that one person might have a bias, the other might not. And therefore now we can actually get two points of view on a candidate. Mm -hmm. And we've only done this because of mistakes. Like mm -hmm. it's not like we're geniuses, but we've probably hired, I don't know, 35 or 37 people in our history. Uh, three of them have gone on to have better careers and we wish them well because attrition's okay. The other seven or so were dismissed and we had to think about, you know, why we needed to do that. And that's our fault for mishiring in the first place. Are there, are there any things that are like immediate red flags? Um, you know, that, that, that you would, you would be like, Oh wow. Like, I'm not sure that this person would fit in this culture. Um, uh, because, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I ask. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, um, I mean, I, I think I, it just happened. So it's just so fresh. Um, and I'm going to try not to say things that are too obvious, but you know, the, some of the things that are fairly fresh is when you ask somebody what they want from company culture and kind of a, a, what they want from their ideal work environment and they can't come up with anything or they come up with something that, um, they more more so it can't come up with anything like you should for us we're excited if someone says well i really liked it when i saw this happen at that culture at that company that i used to work at or vice versa this was a work experience that i wasn't happy with and someone should at least be able to pull a positive or a negative visceral reaction from what it was like working with people in the past and have a strong opinion about how they want their work life balance to be going forward 
So if people aren't kind of aware and present of that, then for us, it it doesn't show kind of like a level of emotional, social intelligence that um, is kind of key if you're going to be working crazy hours with people and doing ridiculous stuff all the time. Um, so that's that's one thing. And then the other, the obvious one that I have to say is when you know you're you're interviewing someone and they don't really know what your company's doing, <laughs> which I'm sorry to say, but that's actually happened quite a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've 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 had that. I've had someone come in to an interview once, and this this flabbergasted me because I couldn't believe this happened. I had somebody come into an interview and basically repeat the website to me in terms of what the company did, and then I was like, okay, great. So you've done you've done like that modicum of research, um, and then when we started talking about things in more detail, it became painfully and abundantly clear that they had no idea what it was about mm-hmm. and they just seen the role and been like I, i'm just i'm just gonna apply because I, I i need a job basically i want to get out of what i'm doing now uh and it's i don't want to i don't want to name names it's not it's not fair but the person the <laughs> the person did actually wind up in the sports industry they were looking to move out of the sports and out of um mm-hmm. consulting into uh into the sports industry uh, and they wound up finding a, a job with a rights holder that actually fit them really well because they, they they got a strategy role and they wound in wound up in the right place. So, wish them well. But like you say, you gotta you 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 have to come into that knowing what the company's about and what you want to be what you want to be doing. And conversely, as the company, as the hiring manager, you have to you have to have that confidence that this person wants to be there. Um, so. How do you how do you test for that? Because the most standard question in an interview, the most standard question in finding talent is, why do you want to come here? Is there a way? Have you found a way to actually nail that down and be confident that you're choosing somebody? Donnie, you mentioned you know people who weren't necessarily cut out for startup startup life. How do you drill into that? How do you get to a resolution? It is you know Will said so funny. We actually put our culture definition on the website now. And we actually asked them, tell us how you fit into our culture definition, which is, and it's like six, six tenants or, you know, columns, which of those things do you most identify with? And you could demonstrate from your work history, you have applied. And then they, the first look is, oh, I missed that section. Or, you know, some people will come with like, they're, they're ready and you can you tell that. The question that always gets is I always ask them why they're leaving their previous job so forget about why you want to come here but why are you leaving your previous job and i've gotten caught on this twice and i need to get lasered in on this i a situation where someone said you know i i i feel like i could do more with my career i feel like i'm being held back by the management of where i'm at and i need to go show that i can do something on my own without them well they came for a bit, and as soon as they got enough time, they somehow convinced their previous employer to give them the job they never got in the first place, and they went running back, like, come on, as soon as they could. So, but, you know, what, what we really get is I like people that make sacrifices to come. So we're not Google. They, Google might be an investor, but we're not them, and I kind of make that clear. So we're not Google. You are coming here to define your career. Sacrifices will be made. It'll be a harder job than you have probably worked before. But you are going to be part of something that you can build and and autograph when you're done. If that's what you want, come. 
if you want to get paid the most money up front and have the greatest easy weekend life, don't come here. So typically part of our interview is here are all the reasons you should not come here. We're mean. <laughs> we, we like whatever it is. So I think it's, it's really forcing them to push through the process, not, not, not make it this rosy thing, but be like a very transparent. It's going to be hard. And if people want the challenge, that's how I'm starting to get the really mm -hmm. strong team. Our team's strong. Mm -hmm. We held through COVID. And if anyone wants to go through that again, uh, I wouldn't. But that's, that's how you retain people. And how do you, uh, and, and especially during COVID times as well, I'm really, I'm really curious about this, but you both have touched on this in, in, in different ways in terms of talking about the culture of the company and, and how it's set. And very obviously the culture of the company is, is, is set and is shown by example, by the leaders, by the people who founded it, by what they do every day, uh, right? It's not like you take the culture of a Google, which has millions and millions of employees worldwide, and so they have to write something down that's very concrete and, you know, and, 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 and hope that people abide by it. This is, this is something that is lived, breathed, and felt organically every day by every employee. How much attention do, do you and can you put into that in order to improve the long-term mm -hmm. performance. Well, I'll ask you first, as, 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 yeah. as you guys were four, you know, so, so obviously had quite a, quite a, quite an, in, a different working relationship to your normal, you know, like one or two guys who are working together, you came together. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've tried to put kind of like systematic processes in place. Um, so regardless of which department, grows um it's the same process for how each team would work together um so you know one of those pieces would be stand-ups um every day make sure people have some face time since we're completely remote company you know at this point i think five different countries um the stand-ups every day um weekly calls where a once a week call where we kind of have everyone on really short but kind of diving into some of the things that happened that week um and then a monthly call that kind of is much more retrospective in terms of how did things happen, allowing different teams to kind of hear how you know, engineering did that month, sales, customer success, marketing, et cetera. Um, and then from kind of like a, a management side of things, we, we have tons of check-ins. Uh, it might seem exhaustive, but when someone's joining, we'll do a 30-day check-in, 60-day check-in, 90-day check-in, and then six-month check-in. Um, and that's directly with their hiring manager. And what they is that check-in? Mm -hmm. That check-in is, yeah, it's, it's an open conversation. It's the six month check-in is much more formal. Um, but the, it's an open, it's a back and forth conversation where the hiring manager can come and bring in, these are some concerns I had, um, and then vice versa. The new team member can say, Hey, these are some concerns I've had, or it doesn't have to be concerns. It could be questions. Um, it's not super um you know regimented it's supposed to be kind of just a, a dedicated time in the calendar so people can remember to share things you know obviously the work everyone's work lives get crazy and you always have these like little things in the back of your head we're like oh i really need to talk to this person about that but i have to shoot out this email or i need to send out this deck or you know whatever all these fires come up so like scheduling out regular checkpoints where all those little questions of things that you needed to unpack with somebody, and that can be the dedicated time. That's, that's what those calls are for. Um, and despite all those calls, we also have a separate 
call that um, I lead with every team member when they join. Um, and I'm not, this is not because I'm, everyone's under me directly. It's because I'm specifically involved with like I onboarding in an HR culture capacity. And so I'll do a, like a, a welcome call to slate. You know, this is what we're doing, all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll also do a call where we break down the history of slate, um, like one hour long call specifically on how slate got started, um, why we're doing what we're doing. And then we have a separate call that's an hour long that's moving forward. You know, how do we, how are we position the market? There's a lot of things out going on. Um, what's our plan going forward? So by the end of those two calls, they have a lot of the background and then a lot of the vision of where they're going forward and they should be super motivated. They should know a lot more about who they're working with because we break down you know, the team. Um, and then the, um, yeah. And then at the end of that one week of onboarding, I do like a recap and, and kind of ask them like, how was our onboarding? Like did what worked, what didn't, you know, and a lot of times they have great feedback and say, you know, actually I think this was missing. You know, I think we could have some more documentation on that piece. I was kind of, wasn't sure if I should slack you or, you know, I didn't know when we we're going to chat about that. So, um, but yeah, the, I think one of the key pieces that's worked really well, which, you know, Michael and Eric were the ones to kind of introduce this at Slate was that one hour, what is Slate? What, what's the company that you're, you've just joined? I know you can read stuff on the website, but you know, what's the one hour background and then the one hour vision going forward. We call that Slate University. Um, and it's just kind of a, a way to kind of give them time to know, Hey, you're not just someone here that's to punch the clock. You know, we really want you to know, where you're at and who you're working with. Awesome. Don, did you, did you guys do something similar? It's funny. We had, we had a satisfy university, <laughs> but then they started calling it satisfy you. And so we had to <laughs> change it. So now it's, well, uh, you hire funny people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, listen, we are funny. I, now I think it's called training camp or something to just get out of it. But, yeah, you know, the a lot's been learned. We do have a weekly all hands now. It used to be monthly. It's weekly because of the distributed workforce. You know, we used to have 20 plus employees in New York. Now we have 12, like, because people have just moved. And, and that's, uh, that's uniqueness to it. There is a one-on-ones are bi-weekly. And so you do get that, that manager connection. And there is a department meeting within each team every week. And that constructs it. The employees first month, of a new, a new employee coming in. I think our last hire was uh, probably two, two months ago. They actually get to shadow a bunch of different departments to get exposure to what does client success do. And, and we try to create some kind of synergy. It's a program that I saw at Bloomberg was very successful and, and try to create some relationships across. I have to think about the onboarding, like what Will's saying is they approached onboarding distributed from day one. Well, we started with a local onboarding mentality where we would fly people into New York for the week mm. to onboard them. So we've only actually hired maybe three employees since we went distributed. And, you know, I, I need to just rethink it even as, as we're, I'm sure every company should consider that because without that personal connection, we're starting to do like uh, in the all hands meeting, let's say it's a 45 minute meeting. Well, the last 10 minutes we do breakout rooms and connect employees with people in departments they might not normally uh, have a relationship with, like a back-end engineer with a new business salesperson. Mm -hmm. So 
that's another way we're getting to onboard our people and ingratiate them more in the culture because it is hard without physical presence when that was part of your organization. Mm-hmm. And how do you balance the time with people? I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Of, uh, as you know, the UK is opening up. Uh, uh, vaccines are, are, are coming relatively quickly. I got mine a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, which which means that I feel a bit more comfortable going out. And so we've started heading back to the office more regularly. And uh, we were in the office yesterday, and as I mentioned, we were just going through the funding process, and you know, calls and lawyers and final points, and you know, to, to trying trying to chase down signatories and are people available? Uh, and and one of our interns who's been taking the ride with us for the last six months, who's fabulous uh, uh, on, on the marketing side um, who's just basically been hanging on on the promise that we will get funded and we'll be able to pay her uh, came up with a question and my, my first reaction was I don't have the time I, I, this 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 is important if, if this doesn't get signed you know if this issue and we're trying to get signed yesterday so it was like added time pressure because everybody was in the office anyway so you know if this doesn't get resolved we may not get the documents back in time etc and then I sort of caught myself and thought actually if that's the message that she walks away with and i'm not saying this like i'm 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 not saying this to pat my back i'm sort of saying why it's come up if if the message is that i'm too busy right now for your question then it's you're not you're you're, we're not going to get the best out of her going forward she's she's not going to feel like she can come to me or anybody else to uh, in, in senior management to ask a question when when it seems it's really busy but at the same time, you're always super busy in a startup. So how have you guys found that balance and that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that um, work between the work that needs to get done, but also ensuring that you're there for your people and giving them a sounding board or uh, a, a supportive arm when they're when they're having an issue or or whatever whatever it might be. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and that's a interesting scenario that you mentioned about you know being in person. You're someone's asking something very viscerally for your your time and attention, and and the first thing that came to mind is if someone <laughs> since I'm, we're so remote, um, if someone did that, there would likely be a Slack message, and I hate to say it, but there's something there's something about like not having as much responsibility to make those decisions. <laughs> when you are fully remote and you can just look at the slack message and make a note i'll get back to that later (laughs) but there isn't this like feeling of like you know urgency in some ways um but um but i I will also say that um one of those and donnie mentioned this too is is one of those things the one-on-ones can be super helpful where um they know all right here's a dedicated time for us to be able to ask a question and i know it's going to take some time um and so that it's that that is kind of a reassurance for I think a lot of folks is they know that things get crazy and sometimes a deadline gets moved up or you know a fire needs to be put out but at least there's a dedicated time every other week um, or every week it really depends um, on how they want to get it set up um, to have those questions be answered. We created I don't know that I think it came out of COVID now that I think about it office hours for certain senior employees. So the COO and the ops team and the CTO and the dev team have a, like a one hour slot where they're just available on a Zoom and Mm. and no one has to go or everyone has to go, but that's a committed time that 
if I have a question, and if, yes, if it's immediate, obviously then it has to get escalated properly because we're not looking to jack time, but there is an office hours for the hyper knowledgeable. Mm. And that's been, that's been well done. But what happened though, is at one point they're like, well, we need more office hours. I'm like, okay, so now you're missing the point. Like if, <laughs> we have three, <laughs> we have three office hours in a week. Now it's becoming, we may as well just go run around. So it's good to have that time. I'd tell you one other thing is accessibility and convenience are not always needing to be equal. So I've told anyone I'm always available on Saturday or I'm always available after 7 p.m. Because if your need to discuss something is so urgent, then do it on your time too. I'm going to do it on, I don't have free time. I think Will would say Mm -hmm. Once you're at the stage in a startup, you're like, it's just part of your life. Like it's not like it's on or off. I'll do it Saturday morning. I'll do it Sunday morning. I'll do it Friday night at these times. And so then you really do gate how important things are to people. They'll say, oh, no, no, I'll catch you, you know, next one-on-one. -on -one. All right, fine. But mm -hmm. I do push that envelope sometimes just to know how important is it that you'll sacrifice something too in mm -hmm. order to have that conversation. I do like I do like that office hours um, idea, Donnie. I just wanted to give you snaps for that. I think we might actually try that out. That sounds great. It's uh, it worked with the, yeah. the CTO was getting crushed on Slack mm. at like randoms, and so yeah. then it was like, hey, it's happy. Listen, test it out. Just don't let it get to three. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you're still controlling the time. Chief, exactly. Chief office hour <laughs> officer. Yeah. C O O O. Yeah, yeah. So um, w one thing that I'm also curious about is is the is the pipeline for finding talent, right? And and I have historically always found talent. I had this uh, discussion actually with, with with somebody the other day. I have historically always found people, um, better not not better people, but I have found people more easily who have been longer term better in the team. Uh, through personal network. So, you know, not going to a recruiter, uh, not going through necessarily job postings on LinkedIn. Um, uh, but the, the, the one, and, and, and the sample size is small, right? So I, I will say that. But the one that has had a 100% hit rate is incoming people who've expressed an interest that I've hired whether they've sort of met, met a need at that time, but like who, who, who were excited about the, uh, about, you know, I have two examples of people just contacting me out of the blue. Uh, didn't, I didn't have a specific role available or something. They were like, we love this. We want to be involved. And then somehow something came up and we managed to make it work. And it was great on average for you guys. What has been the best pipeline? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we've, I'd say half of our hiring has been around engineering. And um, for that, it's been a mix of referrals, but mainly it's actually been um, job job listings. I know it's it's the actual, it's the it's opposite, but we are in a unique scenario in that we're specifically looking to hire engineering talent in Eastern Europe. Um, our CTO is based in Bulgaria. So that's, yeah, that, that does fit um the shoe in some cases there so we'll leverage like local ukrainian job listing websites or um there's a Ukra there's a engineering linkedin called uh, talent.io uh, yeah. which is super helpful an engine another engineering linkedin 
um, skyworker.ai. Um, so kind of finding these like specialized listing sites. And sometimes it's just for the Ukrainian engineering market. Sometimes it's specifically for just engineering generally. Um, and we'll find those mainly from you know, our CTO or, you know, it's even, you know, inbound. We'll have people, we're just, we're really open. People will email us like, hey, check out this platform. We think it's going to help you solve your engineering needs. And we've actually sourced three of our hires from just being open to someone recommending that we try out a tool. Um, but that is time intensive. It means that we've kind of had to A-B test a bunch of different things. And, you know, now we're getting, now we've kind of gotten some of the results from, you know, testing all these platforms. Um, but yeah, it's it's been very mixed, I'd say. We've worked with recruiters and still found great people that way. Um, the the referrals piece is, I think, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I think it's the ideal scenario. And when someone joins, that's one of the first things that I ask them is, so who do you like working with and who wants to leave their job at the company that you used to work with them at? And, um, and you know, can you just let us know if they're interested or if there's, you know, so yeah, I, to I definitely agree on the re referral piece, but then uh, we do have some backups if, if needed. The, uh, the employee referral is the greatest. I mean, if, if you're, if I'm here and telling you to come here too, you've got two wins. You've got someone who's happy enough to bring someone in. And, and we did start an employee referral program because recruiting fees are a lot. Like, I don't think people realize that you know, you're paying 15, 20% of a base, but, but it's funny that Will said that, but I could tell you, we have almost zero engineer hires from anyone but a recruiter because mm. everyone's got their network. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that but we also went through during COVID when we were hiring is uh, we went through a DEI program. So Vince Pearson runs a diversity, equality, inclusion program, which mm -hmm. challenged us to look outside our networks for people that weren't as privileged to be in some of those networks. And we did make a hire by opening up to just new sources of talent that we hadn't considered. We actually fired some recruiters because they weren't showing us the right diversity. And we made a hire who I'm not going to put too much attention on her to bring her to the, the front of it, but she is so talented. She was in a role that was really not nourishing her and, and wasn't properly assessing what she could do. And she's one of my favorite employees. And so as much as network becomes like an attractive thing, I think it's also trying to think about who are the people that might not be getting opportunity that should. And how do we attract them, HBCUs and other networks like that? That's what we're really trying to tap in and grow our company through. Great. So we're going to wrap it up here as we're just about to hit the 45-minute mark. But I will give each of you a chance to provide any closing thoughts, whether that is a message to the industry about how they should be hiring, a message to your employees about how awesome they are, uh, or a prediction for the upcoming NBA playoffs, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Donnie, I'll throw it to you. Uh, go Knicks. <laughs> it would be a great Cinderella story. <laughs> Julius Randle for MVP? <laughs> Listen, I think it would be a great story. I'm not saying anything more than, than that. The, it, I think the, our company really progressed when we defined our culture to the point that every employee now has to articulate it, and we will randomly call on them and in all hands to say, hey, do you really know what this means and, and how you can do it? We've many times, I think, had a moving culture, which based on 
the two or three people that were core or even the last two or three hires, you know, it starts to become this moving target where, oh, I thought we were elite. Oh, I thought we were accountable or I thought we were authentic, but this one's not and this behavior doesn't match. So until we defined it, I really felt like it was moving and, and difficult to measure and enforce. Now that we have it, we just had an employee actually leave kind of strangely. Again, job was too hard. And someone else said they weren't satisfied material or they didn't get the satisfied way. As a CEO, to hear someone say that is really encouraging because then everyone looked like, you know, he or she wasn't one of us, but we know who we are. Mm. And so once we got that identity cleared, I do think we'll, we'll have a lot of success in hiring the future. But if you haven't defined your culture, like written it down, I do think it's impossible to enforce it and, and measure it. Awesome. Will, yeah. Warriors? <laughs> uh, since we work with them, yes, we're biased. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which pains me because I'm based in New York, but life is what it is. Uh, um, for us, I mean, I think one big learning that I've taken away is that I kind of thought that team building and how it was structured and even the hiring process would be there. there's one kind of perfect way to do it. Um, and what I've learned is that there, there is likely a perfect way to do it. That's great, but it's going to change depending on how big the company is and, and how the dynamics of the company changes. So I think, you know, we had a, a really nice, perfect setup when we had, you know, a five to eight person team. And now that we're going up to 15 plus, you know, potentially 20 at the end of the year, we are going to have to evolve and adapt. And um, it's, it's at no fault of our own that we didn't, you know, incorporate the 15 to 25 person setup in terms of communication and structure and everything. When we were a smaller company, there are things that a small as a smaller company that you can do with team building and, and culture that you can't really do um, as, as one-to-one -one when you're a larger company. So just kind of feeling comfortable. And that's what that would be the part to emphasize is feeling comfortable that the way your company is going to be set up and how everyone's going to interact will change. And um, it's never really going to be a fixed Great. Well, thank you both very much. Very uh, elucidating conversation. Uh, listeners, if you want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our website at sportsloft.co. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, and thanks to our partners at uh, Northridge LLP and our talent partner at SRI. Uh, all that remains for me to say is thank you very much, Donnie. Great to have you back on. Thank you. And thank you very much, Will. Great to have you on for the first time. Thanks, Danny. And have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks and bye.